It's time for our Bible reading, so please um, take your Bibles in whatever format and turn them to Genesis chapter 19, and that can be found on page 16 of the Church Bibles. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in a city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the man seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favour in your sight, And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favour also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. 
Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in the cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by the father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ammi. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maynard, thank you very much for reading for us. Please do keep your Bibles open, Genesis 19. You might want sight of the outline just to jot down notes. Any questions? If you do have questions, I'd love you to come up and let me know what they are afterwards to continue thinking through, chatting about God's Word. And we always need God's help to understand His Word. It feels especially so with a passage like Genesis 19. Let's pray again as we begin. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father God, thank you that you are a loving and just God. Thank you that you have made yourself known to us in your word. Thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. And yet you do not overlook sin. You take evil seriously. Uh, Please give us all ears to hear. Help us supremely see more of Christ, uh, who he is and our need of him. And we ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen. I used to uh, visit a primary school pretty frequently to do assemblies, not quite once a week, but I went in there uh, quite often. And it was a great opportunity to look at God's word together. Uh, but uh, every so often I, I did just get that sinking feeling that lots of the staff as I looked on basically thought the Bible was God's highway code for morality. Uh, Christianity was just about being nice. And so the Bible was all essentially about making nice little boys and girls into even nicer 
boys and girls as they grew up. And so it was no surprise that I was never asked to give an assembly on Genesis 19. Uh, Maybe you're even surprised. Today we're having a sermon on Genesis 19. Uh, Bible passages don't get much harder to stomach, do they? I mean, attempted gang rape, Lot offering up his two daughters as substitutes to the mob, a whole town's getting incinerated, Lot's wife petrified, and then to, to top it all off, drunken incest, not just once, but twice, and all before your Sunday roast. At least the the passage does all the attention grabbing for me. And just as an aside, isn't it reassuring the Bible doesn't airbrush humanity? The Bible can't be accused of dodging the mess of life. Now, if I was writing this, I'd be tempted to make it much more palatable. But God knows we need to understand the reality of our condition and our state before him. And ultimately, this is a passage far more about God than it is about us. So what are we to make of it all? Well, there are two big truths here. Two truths to shape our whole outlook on life, our outlook on eternity, how we view ourselves, how we view everyone around us. Genesis 19 proclaims God will justly judge the wicked. But he also saves his people for the sake of his chosen one. You'll see it there on the outline if you've got it in front of, uh, in front of you. So, uh, first up, the Lord is just, so he must judge. Maybe we uh, remember Abraham's question from back in chapter 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And now we see in vivid 3D Technicolor, full HD, Dolby surround sound, the judge of all the earth will do. What is just? He will judge the wicked. Back in chapter 18, we saw Abraham entertaining these three mysterious guests. But in the narrative, it's just earlier the same day. The pace has slowed right down, which in the Bible is always a a sure sign something important is going on. In fact, this is the most detailed account of a day in the life of Abraham. And chapter 19 begins a bit like a mirror of chapter 18. Perhaps we can see the parallels between Lot's welcome and Abraham's. Verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But this is an exercise actually far more in contrast than comparison. The two angels are on a reconnaissance mission. They're they're undercover in enemy territory. They're there to find out quite how bad things are. Verse 20, do you remember of chapter 18? The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. You see, God judges justly. God investigates He's not like some blindfolded darts player throwing darts at random while everyone ducks for cover. He has a a thorough knowledge of the facts. 
There is justice. And so even as our passage begins, we sense the unease, don't we? Lot knows what Sodom's like. He urges the angels not to spend the night in the square, but stay with him. He knows the dangers. He suggests they leave early in the morning, perhaps so they can slip out unnoticed. What's about to happen next is clearly not a one-off. But nevertheless, it is still shocking and appalling. It's clear who's involved, isn't it? Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. All the men without exception are here. There really isn't one righteous person in the city. It's clear what they want. Verse 5, they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And to begin with, Lot tries to, to calm the mob down. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Great response from Lot. But then comes verse 8. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. I only do nothing to these men for they've come under the shelter of my roof. I mean, what is Lot thinking? It is staggeringly horrid. Lot offering up his own daughters. Why not offer possessions, money, anything else other than his own family? We hate that Lot can even consider this. But the reassurance of this passage is God hates sin far more than we ever will. I don't know what appalls you, what, what makes your blood boil. Child sex slavery, rank systemic corruption, utterly unjust racism. Whatever the sin, God hates it more. He has a settled, just, fierce anger against sin. But before we move on, it is worth just quickly asking the question, what is the sin of Sodom? Genesis 13, verse 13 shows us it's not an isolated incident. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And we know this isn't the only sin they committed. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. But we must be clear. Whilst homosexual practice wasn't the only reason God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, and whilst the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were definitely not exclusive in terms of the sins in which they indulged, this event in Genesis 19 is representative of their sin. It is meant to evoke outrage. All sexual activity outside of the biblical definition of marriage is sin. And all of us are sinners. Sin rightly angers God and he will judge justly. If you are someone for whom same-sex attraction is a, a personal issue, either for yourself, perhaps in your family, please know that you are very, very welcome at St. John's Church. 
We want to be clear, all of us are sinners. All of us face the battle day by day to put Jesus first. And God in his kindness has given us one another to help us keep going. And so St. John's is for all sorts of sinners with all sorts of battles who need the one perfect saviour, Jesus Christ. If even the idea God can tell you how to live and what's right and wrong seems crazy to you, please do consider joining that Christian Explored course we were talking about. You can ask literally any question And my hope and prayer is you would come to see how good it is that God takes sin seriously. God sees our sin. He knows what we're like. He's not flying off the handle. Judgment is utterly deserved. And you see, it's only angelic intervention that spares Lot, or especially spares his daughters. Verse 9 And they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become our judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with him. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And so God acts in judgment. God will not tolerate sin. He executes justice decisively. Just skim down to verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, uh, petroleum, bitumen, sulfur and salt were uh, abundant in the region. They could be thrown into the air during an earthquake. Uh, But we mustn't think that because this could have been caused by natural events, it wasn't entirely the Lord's doing. Do you see verse 24 doubly underlines this was an act definitively and exclusively of the Lord. The Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. When we read about atrocities in Ukraine, I take it we want justice to be done, don't we? We don't want people getting away with evil. Sodom and Gomorrah show us right and wrong really do matter to God. And one of the taglines on social media after a terrorist attack a few years ago was, evil cannot triumph. It's a great sentiment. But it's only true if there is a God who will do something about evil. It is a good thing God takes evil seriously. It is a good thing he will do something about it. When people don't like the idea of God judging, it's not because they don't think evil people should get away with it. It's more often because they don't think they're bad themselves. But Sodom teaches us God will certainly punish the wicked. He will destroy all unrepentant sinners. And so the, verse, the first big encouragement is, is, do look back. Do learn from Sodom's judgment. Like a, a huge warning sign on a beach uh, telling us about sharks. So kind of Sodom stands as a massive warning about rejecting Jesus. You see, according to Jesus, the, the sin of Sodom 
homosexual gang, gang rape is as nothing compared to rejecting Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, Jesus says it's better to have been in Sodom than to reject the good news about him. The judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah is as nothing compared to the judgment on those who reject Jesus. The fire raining down on Sodom is just a, a preview of God's everlasting anger. And so how are we saved from the burning? Jesus. In Tunbridge Wells, I think it is safe to say we can feel a bit removed from all the disasters we read in the news. Uh, we feel quite comfortable and safe here. But isn't that true for most people on the day when the unthinkable happens? Waking up one day in Ukraine to the sound of explosions. And people going about their daily business when disaster strikes. And no one expects it. No one expects it will be them. Which is precisely why we need to hear today's lesson. Even people who've never opened their Bible have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And perhaps we've had those conversations. Oh, I, I could never believe in a God who's so vindictive and brutal and judgmental. I prefer to think of God as all loving. Maybe we used to think like that. Maybe we still do. But God's judgment is a good thing. He takes evil seriously. And we mustn't slip into the danger of complacency. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, Genesis 19 is meant to shake us out of our complacency. But Jesus gave his life so we might be rescued from the full fury of God's just, settled and deserved wrath. Through his death, Jesus bore the punishment we deserve. Jesus took on himself and what Genesis 19 is only a pale shadow of. So all who trust in him might be spared it. If you're, you're on a, a burning oil rig and, and you're pushing away the rescue boat as it comes to save us, well, there can be no hope of salvation, can there? If we reject the cross, if we reject Jesus, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you, says Jesus. Do look back. Do learn the lesson. Do look back and cry out for a rescue because God will save some. And you'll see there, uh, secondly on the outline, the Lord is merciful and he will save some. It is good news. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. As this uh, passage was read, you may have uh, kind of felt the same as me. We realize God rescues Lot. But he seems to rescue Lot despite Lot, not because of him. Even a short case study of Lot shows us, I think, a bit of a, a mixed picture, to put it lightly. Verse 1, do you see he's sitting at the town gate? Perhaps he's become a town official. He calls the men of Sodom my brothers. Does he view them like family? 
We've already seen him offering up his daughters in exchange for the life of the visitors, verse 8. His his sons-in-law, they think he's a joker. Verse 12, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you've in the city, bring them out of the place, for we're going to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord's about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. He lingers in Sodom, even when he's told by angels to leave. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. But even then, he'd, he'd rather escape to Zoar than the safety of the hills. Verse 17, as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your side, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I, I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be spared. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Verse 26. His wife ends up as a pillar of salt, since disobediently she looks back to Sodom. And then Lot ends up fearfully living in a cave in verse 30. Surely an ironic decision, an ironic comment on his decision to to take the best of the land back in chapter 13. And then as if we think things couldn't get any worse, his daughters sleep with him and bear him sons who will be the enemies of God's people. Though we have mitigating circumstances, they got him blind drunk first. Lot offers up his daughters to be taken advantage of, but he ends up being taken advantage of himself by his daughters. And yet, Lot is saved. Is that a surprise to you? I wonder if you're as surprised as I am when we read 2 Peter 2. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Is that not amazing? Lot is called a righteous man. And he is indeed a righteous man. But he's also weak conflicted and ineffectual. I take it he knows Sodom's evil. He knows it's not to be trifled with and yet he's, he's drawn to it. Can't quite let go of it. Finds it has a hold on him. But wonderfully, God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And when push comes to shove, quite literally for Lot, he does obey God. Even though he quibbles and complains, ultimately... He trusts and obeys and is saved. So Lot is not a model 
believer, but he is a model saved person or survivor. Maybe we could call him a model receiver of God's salvation. Now, for any of us to be saved, it takes God to work with this kind of mercy, dragging us to heaven despite ourselves. And maybe we've been a Christian for a while. Here's a great reminder of the lengths God has to go to to rescue any of us. Certainly been a great reminder for me. And we come to Genesis at 19, perhaps with a sense of foreboding, but the more I've looked at it, the more you just see God's grace and mercy. In fact, verse 16, if you look down, we get the very first reference to mercy in the whole Bible. Lot lingers. The angels seize him and drag him to safety. A lot laments and whines. So the Lord allows him to go to Zoar. God even spares a whole city, even if it is a little one, for the sake of Lot. It is incredible kindness. Literally great, steadfast love. Lot doesn't deserve any of this. So I wonder if we spotted why Lot is saved in Genesis 19. Did you see that in verse 27 to 29? Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Uh, The whole Sodom narrative is topped and tailed with Abraham. Verse 29 acts as a kind of summary verse. God saving others for the sake of one man who intercedes for them. Do you remember back with Noah? Again, God was bringing just judgment on the wicked. At the beginning of chapter 8, we read that God remembers Noah. And again here, the Lord remembers a righteous one and so has mercy. If we had time, we could point out loads of the links uh, back to the flood from Genesis 19. God saving even as he rains judgment down on the wicked. Except here, as judgment falls on Sodom, God rescues Lot, not because he remembers Lot, but because he remembers Abraham. The emphasis of the story is on God's merciful rescue of Lot out of judgment. Abraham acted rightly and justly. And so has God. And so Lot is rescued. So we might want to to reword verse 29. So it was that when God destroys the whole earth, God will remember Jesus and send all his people out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrows the earth where they lived. See, if we are a Christian... God has rescued us, not because of us, but because of Jesus. We have a saving God who, even as he judges sin, will save some. And again, doesn't the cross show us both God's hatred and judgment for sin? It is what we deserve. But it also shows us God's loving, saving heart. Jesus dying for all who would trust him. But even as those who've experienced God's saving grace, don't we find our our hearts still long for Sodom? 
Which is why Jesus draws another lesson from this passage. He says, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. In Luke 17, Jesus says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Here we learn looking back is really turning back. She showed where she really belonged. And this is where particular, I feel the challenge. Don't linger. Don't look back. Don't throw in the towel in the Christian life, not in one decisive step, but gradually longing for the old life more and more. I'm sure we can all think of the person who used to call themselves a Christian, perhaps they still do, but other things have got in the way, not bad things, good things, but good things that have become God things. Family, sport, DIY, hobbies, weekends away. Oh yes, I'd love to come to church this week, but, uh, but um, uh, so-and-so, whoever their, their child is, they've got a, a hockey tournament. Oh, I, you know, I'd, I'd really want to be there, but you know, I need to, to make sure someone's in to wait for the plumber. Oh, it's just that you know, this weekend, again, it's the only time we can all get away. Not bad things, but if they consistently keep us from meeting as God's people, from hearing his word, there is a danger of being drawn back to Sodom. You'll see at the bottom of the the handout, I've uh, put a link there to a chapter by Ryle unpacking that one command, remember Lot's wife. It's well worth reading and praying through if you've got the time. I remember very painfully a few years ago now meeting one of my old youth group leaders. I was at a a wedding reception. And uh, back when I was a teenager, he had been one of the most enthusiastic, clear, gospel-hearted, Jesus-focused leaders I'd uh, had. A great example to follow. But when I met him those years later, he was now nowhere with the Lord. Not even calling himself a Christian. And what had happened? Well, he'd made even more money. Now had a helicopter, a large country estate. And he had looked back, hadn't he? Now, I don't know at what point he'd stopped taking God's judgment seriously, but it is a warning. What might cause us to look back? I think for me, comfort's a huge temptation. And maybe it is for you too. Sodom and the southeast, both places of plenty and comfort and ease. Very easy, isn't it, to, to switch off to God's judgment, pretend it's not happening. Well, we know it's coming, but we live today as if it's not. I've had to ask myself, what would change in my life if I, if I really believed God's judgment was coming? What are the things that take my eye off the ball? Money, career, house, holidays. Genesis 19 has been really healthy for me to remind me of the reality of God's judgment and his salvation. We need to remember the mercy of God. As a student, I uh, used to have a Bible verse written uh, out, put above my door. Every time I went out, I'd have to look at it. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then underneath I'd written the words, maybe today, question mark. Just a a reminder to myself, 
Because as we close, it is Jesus where our eyes should be fixed. He's where we we keep our gaze. He is the one appointed as judge over all. He is the one and the only one who, who will come to judge, but also who deals with God's judgment. He alone saves from the wrath to come. So as we remember Sodom and resolve not to linger, not to look back, let's look to Jesus instead to be warned, yes, but also profoundly grateful for our perfect saviour. Let's pray together. But he lingered, so the men seized him. Father God, we do thank you that you are a just God who will judge evil. Thank you that you take sin seriously. Please, would we see what uh, uh, good news that is, that right and wrong matter. But we thank and praise you that there is safety, there is rescue, there is mercy and grace in Jesus. Thank you for your steadfast love that you spare a people, not because of any merit of our own, but because of Jesus, because you remember him, because he intercedes on our behalf. Please help us to be more grateful for Jesus, for the cross. Please help us to take sin more seriously. And please with many, many more people, uh, not just in Tunbridge Wells, but across the world, come to find that safety in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.